If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought you. <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Podfellas, and thanks for listening to our entertainment podcast. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is Will. Hello. Each week, we'll provide a film or TV review, followed by a deeper dive into a related topic. However, this week, we'll be doing things a bit different. We will be providing two film reviews, the first for the film Marriage Story, written and directed by Noah Baumbach, the second for Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho. Joining us this week is our friend and listener, filmmaker Steve-O Chang. Yo! All right. Thanks for joining us, Steve-O. Hey! So, to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, yes. So just to give a little background, I actually saw one of uh, Steve-O's short films uh, way before I ever met him. It was called Fields of Mudan, and uh, it was an incredible film. And uh, it was actually, I would have to say, one of the best short films I've ever seen. Oh, thank uh, you. Yes, yes. Are you fanboying right now? Yes, I'm fanboying oh, right okay. now. okay. Yeah. And, uh, I just can't get that smile off your face. I know. <laughs> seriously. Lo and behold, I got to meet him a little bit later. And I even had the uh, privilege of working with him on multiple shoots. Yep. Most recently, we worked together on a Bob Evans mashed potatoes That's commercial. Right. Yes. With <laughs> Alfonso Rivero, which was great. Thank you for bringing me on that. Oh, it was a pleasure. I needed you. <laughs> <laughs> And I also had the opportunity of, of, of helping to produce one of his short films, Forbidden Grace. Thank you. Which uh, we're still trying to kind of get out there to the world right now. Yeah. So uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks. And uh, I have to say, I'm actually a fanboy of Myron's because when I was in college, I saw his short film that he oh, acted no. in called Epitaph, <laughs> where he played oh, a villain, yeah. but it was still cool. Someone bury that, please. <laughs> oh, is that the one when he's in the hoodie in the car? No. No, no it's like um, martial <laughs> okay. arts. And, but yeah, there, it's there, amazing. Oh, it's there, amazing. There's a lot more coming out than, than I... <laughs> in a previous life, That's I how far we act. go back. Yes. <laughs> you just didn't know me at the this. time. <laughs> Unfortunately, film is forever. <laughs> as much as you try to, to burden and get away with it, if it's online, <laughs> the internet is undefeated, unfortunately. And as the saying goes, a film's never finished, it escapes. So that yes. definitely escaped you. <laughs> yes. I'm trying to catch it still. <laughs> All right, guys. So how was your guys' weekend? It's been pretty good. All right. What yeah, did you do, Steve-O? Um, I prepared for this podcast by watching a couple movies. Yeah, okay. I usually never get to do that. I watch a lot of YouTube. All right. YouTube is. Were you procrastinating, yeah. Steve-O? Well, yeah. yeah. So you just uh, finished up a, a anti-vaping commercial for Truth, right? Oh, yeah. We're actually still in the midst of working on it. But yeah, like okay. it's a whole campaign and um, it's it's pretty cool. That's okay. awesome. Yeah. I love yeah, that. It's pretty dope. We yeah. do like a broadcast spot, social, uh, digital TikTok. So it's kind of like That's all awesome. these crazy formats, yeah. you know, and it's like shot in advance with that in mind. Uh-huh. So it's kind of crazy, like this multi-layered, you know. Now I'm uh, curious campaign. when you're when you're shooting things that's going to be like seen on someone's phone. Are you mm-hmm. shooting it with a phone or something else? Um, some of it is was shot with a phone. Everything shot at 4K. Oh wow! Because uh, everything's finished at 1080. Uh-huh. Whether that's 1080 by 1920 or 1920 by 1080 yeah. or <laughs> 1080 mode. by 1080. Yeah. So yeah. Interesting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many mediums out there and so many ways to, to create videos now. So many streams of, of marketing yeah. material. Yeah. Yeah. Really and like cool. the broadcast spot, even though it's like the most expensive because of the media buy, uh, usually the the ones that the clients really want are these six second spots that run on yeah. YouTube pre rolls. It's crazy. That's like the money maker now. Yeah. So just short term, you know, just short. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh. It's That's crazy. How people how like it these days. Just attention span is getting smaller and smaller I feel absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah but you know it's crazy also it's amazing how much research is coming out too with anti-vaping the fact mm-hmm. of what you're working on and yeah yeah like people actually dying 
I know. It's kind of crazy. That's crazy. So what a... Speak what a that truth, Steve-O. <laughs> yeah. Speak it. I feel like this is an ad for truth now. I know, right? <laughs> How about you, Will? How was your weekend? Uh, did, did a workout in my friend's studio. I uh, haven't worked out in like a couple of months, and that wrecked me. Like It was a one hour, just crazy workout. I'm still sore, like two days after. So I procrastinated as well as Steve-O did. I watched uh, Marriage Story with my girlfriend, and uh, it was really I, I enjoyed it and it was kind of like depressing for her though because she her parents are, are separated but it was really cool to be able to just go through, discuss with her basically later on about like oh like what was it for her you know what was it like for her her parents to separate and just a different story different perspective it was really cool to kind of like see that so cool yeah, yeah I've heard that a lot from couples who watched it together yeah. it was very depressing it was mm, it's yeah. very real yeah it's a little too real yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like the unmarriage story I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She just said to me, like, we're not getting a divorce. We're getting married. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. Okay. Wait, wait so, so you guys are what? No, we're no. not. We're not. Do you have an announcement? No, we don't. We just know where we lie within marriage because I don't believe uh, in divorce either. Okay. Okay. Don't, you always jump the gun on yes. that. I like Why to spread you, rumors. You, yes, you do. <laughs> I mean, it, out of excitement for me in my life, that's great. I appreciate it, but no, too soon. Too soon, Mary. <laughs> And what about you now, Myron? Let's like focus on you. Another weekend, which means more time with the kids' events. I just got back from a, it's called a sprinkle, uh, which is not a shower. A baby shower is for someone's firstborn, but if they have a secondborn, it's called a sprinkle. Oh. Is that like a post-millennial thing? I thought it was a cupcake. No, no, it's, it's just a thing. <laughs> I, thought it was a, I thought it was a cupcake, too. I... No, it's a reason to get together, and those are always fun, I guess you could say. I also got caught up on some television. I, uh, I'm all caught up on The Mandalorian. Okay. Um, I also finished Fleabag uh, season two. Um, I spoke a few episodes ago about Fleabag season one, which was great, but mm-hmm. two was incredible. It was That's abs- what I keep hearing. Yeah, it really is great. I was like laughing and on the verge of tears, like literally in minutes of each other. And unfortunately, there will be no Fleabag season three. Um, the uh, writer, creator, and actor uh, actress said that. Uh, She's pretty much done that this character has gone from mm. point A to point B and that there's no other story left to tell, mm. which makes me very sad. But I don't know. Maybe someone will drop a dumpster full of money in front of her house <laughs> and convince her otherwise. But um, yes, it's uh, it was just a great show. It has to be the best show I've seen in hmm. 2019. Yeah. So yeah. if you all have Prime, I would go check that out. Amazon Prime. Watch Fleabag. Do yourself a favor. You know, it's nothing new, though, when it comes to these miniseries with, with, you know, short-lived seasons because it's very... High uh, quality. Not just that, but it's not an it's not a new idea because I I mean for me personally when you when you watch Japanese shows or Japanese anime they mm-hmm. have short miniseries like that too. Oh. They've done it for years and you're yeah. just thinking like, oh man, like what's gonna happen next? But like, no, that's the end. Yeah, it yeah. was a twelve episode series right. and, it, and it feels like a lot of um, series are mini series size like yes. Game of Thrones last season was six episodes versus oh, yeah that's right yeah like watching something yeah. like I did a, a binge watch of um, Booze and Buddies oh, yes okay. Tom Hanks yeah and it's like 24 25 episodes per yeah. season yeah. and yeah. it was it took me a while to get through it it, it felt like I'm through all of Game of Thrones and yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. so the same amount of time six episodes of Fleabag season two is shorter than one Irishman so I think from now on <laughs> I heard that podcast <laughs> I, I think from now on when we talk about the length of a movie on our show we should 
uh, have a unit of measurement called an Irishman. <laughs> oh my right. god! So uh, 0.5 Irishman would be an hour and 45 minute movie. So okay. uh, this was something like 0.8 Irishman long, I would say. <laughs> Good. Yes. Anyways, the SAG nominations were announced this past week. Um, yes. It's close to the end of the year. Lots of new uh, movies are coming out. This is when all the big prestige movies are, are about to be released. Mm-hmm. And uh, SAG nominations were announced. Um, you can Google it and see what was nominated, what wasn't. So I just want to ask both of y'all, what sticks out to you? Uh, how about you first, Steve-O? Yeah, where's Aquafina? I mean, she killed it in the farewell. I saw it at Sundance, and I saw it mm-hmm. many times afterwards. And... Uh, it was one of my favorite movies at Sundance, hands down, and of the year. And I was just like kind of surprised that uh, she didn't even get a nom. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was definitely a great movie. How yeah. about you, Will? The entire um, nominations look pretty solid. Uh, I will say, though, it is nice to see a foreign film such as Parasite to be mm-hmm. nominated. Yes. First uh, time in history. First time in history. For an ensemble cast. Man, what's up, SAG? I know, right? <laughs> It's just like little. There's just like little by little. Let's just give them a little bit at a time. You're like, no. I mean, I honestly think that they're all, they should have also been nominated, not just for great ensemble, but mm-hmm. I think individual performances, individual absolutely. performances yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Myron? Um, I was really happy to see a love for the cast of Parasite. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, later on in the episode. But what I was really happy about was to see Lupita Nyong'o get nominated for us. Uh, mm-hmm. She got no love from the Golden Globes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, I watched Us with Will in the theater, and then I uh, purchased it on Apple iTunes and showed it to my sister and my wife. And as we were watching it, we went to the special features, and uh, there was this little segment where uh, Lupita Nyong'o was in character. They showed her in character <laughs> the entire time, and it was freaky as hell. Which character? The, the, the crazy one. With the scissors? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that one. Can you suck like that for the entire rest of the podcast? <laughs> Sorry, that was really, really bad. By the way, no. my buddy Mike G DP'd that. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I almost ran him over in film school, but it's okay. Wow. I, I saved the world and gave you guys yes. Mike G, so he... I'm happy. Now, now, Mike G is not Mick G, right? No, no, no Mike G. G. Mike okay. Julianakis, or okay. however you say his last name. He okay. did a brilliant job. Yeah, yeah. that was incredible. Yeah. The, juxtaposition, the juxtaposition between the ballet dance, mm-hmm. yes. you know, between the classroom and yeah. her. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, mm-hmm. so beautifully done. Absolutely, yeah. one of my so favorite good. moments of yes. the year, I'd say. So good. All right, so a quick look at what's coming up in future episodes. Next week, Will and I will be reviewing Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker and ranking the best Star Wars film slash TV shows. By the way, I have no idea what that was an impression of. It just kind of started one thing and went into something else. So, <laughs> my apologies. I was hoping you would go more with it. Yeah, Skywalker. <laughs> I don't know what that was either. I just thought he was just my yes, and This is just what I do. <laughs> just him. Yes. And then the next two episodes will be our top 10 films of the year, broken up into two episodes. And we will be having a guest host joining us, Mr. Andrew O, another fellow filmmaker. Woot woot. Yes. And in other big news, we have an email address now. So if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, feedback, you can go ahead and send it our way. Drop us a line at the podfellas podcast at gmail.com once again that's the podfellas podcast at gmail.com if you have any complaints criticism death threats you can send that directly to will kill <laughs> so it's a spam account yes <laughs> you literally read you literally said that yeah. as if you're leaving like a message for like the dmv or something <laughs> can you please call me back <laughs> at 714 <laughs> 
That's 714. Yes, but we welcome all positive comments. <laughs> Negative, once again, you can contact Will directly. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. So good. All right. So we will be going into our review of Marriage Story. Yes. Written and directed by Noah Baumbach. Here is a look at the trailer. What I love about Nicole, she is a mother who plays, really plays. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. She's He's very, very competitive. competitive. So I'll tell Charlie what's happening, and Cassie, you then hand him the envelope. I just get nervous. Can you unserve? What do you mean, like take it back? Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. Dreamer! Charlie Bird! <laughs> Mom! <laughs> Mom! What? You know, most people in my business, you just transactions to them. I like to think of you as people. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> you remind me of myself on my second marriage. So that was a look at Marriage Story. It's a stage director, Adam Driver, and his actor wife, Scarlett Johansson, struggling through a grueling coast-to-coast divorce that pushes them to their personal and creative extremes. So, gentlemen, first question. Steve-O, did you enjoy the movie, and why? Overall, yes, I did enjoy it. Um, being a uh, L.A. native filmmaker and having filmed a lot in New York, like a lot of the locations I totally recognize and can relate with. And also being a, f- a creative person, like a lot of that did, did jive with me well. Um, I think I did have some issues with it, which I can talk about later. But uh, a lot of it, like um, it felt a little bit cliche in places where it's like hmm. New York is like this type of person, almost like a stereotype. L.A. is that, that type of person, almost like a stereotype. Hmm. And the way that he broke it up, it just felt something... Um, like we've seen a million times before. I agree. You know? Yeah. But uh, what I did find interesting about it was that it gave a lot of room for the performances to really come out. I really did enjoy that a lot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, Ray Liotta and Laura Dern. Uh, mm-hmm. That was an amazing combination. And in my personal opinion, I think the movie should have just been those two. You know? It <laughs> yeah. would have been far yeah. more interesting in the sense that you'd see a lot more different stories being told that way. Maybe a TV series, I don't know. But that, that they could those call it two. Divorce Court. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And then Myron, what about you? I really did love this movie. Um, I have to say it's one of my favorite films of the year. I feel like I'm saying it every week, but it really was. Um, but we've been getting some good, we've been watching some yes, good films yes. lately. Well, yeah. I mean, we started this podcast, I would say, what, four or five weeks ago? Sure. And it's towards the end of the year, so it's like so many great movies coming out. But And strong. Yeah. yeah. I mean, normally I'm not a huge fan of Bombback movies because it always felt to me like the dialogue was just yeah. kind of too quippy too sarcastic and it was almost as if the the actors were there just to deliver it but then here i didn't feel that way at all i felt like all the characters were fully fleshed out fully realized i I have to agree with steve-o i felt like the uh, script left lots of room for the performances to really really come out i empathized quite a bit with charlie which was the character that adam driver played Mm. and his frustrations i mean i maybe this hit a little close to home because you know my wife and i have a son and you know I, i just i felt claustrophobic like watching him not being able to see his son as much um, as he wanted to, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I also felt it, it was very, very interesting because 
I think if you're a man or a woman watching this movie, I think you get two totally different sides. My wife totally reacted differently than I did. She saw certain certain things that I didn't see that was very obvious to her. So I think it's very um, interesting that Noah Baumbach was able to write a script that appeals differently to both men and to women. So I thought that was very difficult. Um, I have to agree. I love the lawyer characters. They, yeah. they were very good. They came in. They brought a certain energy yeah. to it. Um, that kind of uplifted the movie since the subject matter itself was pretty depressing. But yeah, I really did like it. For me, I also enjoyed it and I thought it was a good film. Um, I think Bombeck does a good job telling a story of like core instabilities and estrangement when it comes to relationships similar to like other his other film, The Squid and the Whale. Um, the one thing I do agree with you, Steve-O, is that it did bring up cliches. The, the only thing that stood out were kind of like the stereotype. Like yeah. of a self-indulgent theater director, you know, yeah. who is unaware of his selfishness. Then you have someone like, you know, Scarlett Johansson who's playing this character that just has needs and wants, but but just doesn't, isn't able to really hone in on that and be confident to be able to communicate with that because it's a very relationship-driven kind of film to me. And it's interesting also that you see, Myron, what... what um, Hannah picked up, you know, your your wife, like when she was watching certain intri- like certain things about mm. how you didn't pick up when it comes to the women's side of you or the man's yeah. side of you, right? Yeah. And so, that's the same thing what my girlfriend did too. She was just saying, yeah, they just noticed little yeah. things like that. So, so let me kind of bring up a, a scene in particular. The opening scene of the movie is where um, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are basically reading letters to each other about what they appreciate about the other person. That's a great scene. Yeah. Very Woody Allen. So yeah. good. And then we realize that they're actually in like a uh, sort of counseling session. They're about to get a divorce and they're in a room with a mediator. And then that letter that Scarlett Johansson wrote, um, she doesn't want to read it. She seems emotionally closed off, doesn't even want to go there, mm-hmm. right? And whereas Adam Driver is like, oh yeah, I don't mind reading my letter out loud at all. And then I was like, dude, why is she like that? I was telling my wife, why is she being so emotionally closed off? And then she was like, oh, it's obvious. He cheated on her. I was like, what? <laughs> she got that yeah. from the get-go. Yeah, immediately. So, and then it comes out later and I was just like, wow. like What the heck? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So uh, that's kind of what that's I was alluding to. Yeah, the script I, really was very yeah. in tune and sensitive to how men and women would pick up on a certain scene. Yeah. See, I, then, what I picked up from that was that it felt like the therapist and Adam Driver's character kind of like in cahoots with each other hmm. and she didn't feel like she was being heard. Oh. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, yeah, that no, that that's that could be totally true too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought from my mind, I thought like, you know, for, for men and women, like men think more logically, women drive more emotionally kind of thing. I thought it was that kind of scenario at first. I just, think that could be very true too. Yeah, because yeah. for him it was like, oh, I like what I wrote. I, I, I agree with everything that I, you know, that I wrote down. I would like to read mine. I'll be fine, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in the logical sense. But for her, obviously something was off. She was, you know, hurt and you feel it. But I, was, I just did not know that that yeah. was the case where... You know, uh, Hannah caught that on. Yeah. Like, wow, you know, Myron, crazy. Well, I think you guys have to do a re-review of this with a female like filmmaker or someone mm-hmm. to like give that perspective. I think that'd be really cool. That could be interesting too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy. So, favorite performances and why? Moving okay. on, Myron. Let's start with you this time. It's hard for me to say who was better. Um, I would say there are three standout performances. Of course, Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, and Laura Dern. I thought they were all great. Mm-hmm. Um, between the two leads, it's hard to say uh, who was better. Um, there are, are, I think, two particular scenes where um, 
as actors, their performances really stuck out. First, I really loved Scarlet's scene where she first meets Laura Dern's character. She goes to see Laura Dern, who plays a divorce lawyer in her office. And Scarlet basically tells the entire story of why she's getting divorced from her point of view. And it's this long take monologue. The scene goes really long. Um, the camera basically stays so still. As she's telling her story, she even goes to the bathroom, keeps telling the story, comes back out sits down on the couch with Laura Dern. And it was just so interesting that they, they didn't cut away. And for me, that was the moment where, because to be honest, before that moment, I was really siding with, uh, with Adam Driver's character. Um, but then, you know, as she tells her side, I was like, wow, she has a great point. It kind of made me empathize and understand her. And at that point, uh, for me, there was no, you know, good guy, bad guy. There was just to good people going through a divorce. And so she sold me on that in the mm-hmm. middle of a scene. And of course there was the fight, <laughs> the fight, which is, I don't know if you guys have seen all the memes coming out about that fight. Have you seen those no, memes? No, I've seen the memes. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll send that over yeah, to yeah, you. Yeah. yeah, It's pretty good. It's basically three, it's like comic book panels where they take three um, visuals from the fight and you can create your own meme by plugging oh. in whatever argument you want to in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty pretty awesome. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to get too much into the fight other than to say it's too real. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I will say after that fight, I think there was some sort of hope for me that the couple might get back together because I wanted them both to be happy. After that fight, I realized neither of them would be happy with each other. Mm. And the best opportunity for them to be happy would be to be apart. So right. that fight scene was was really good. Nice, yeah. nice. And it yeah. said a lot of the things that needed to be said. Yeah. That, yes. Yeah. 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 How about for, you, Steve-O? Steve-O, yeah. Uh, for me, it goes back to Ray Liotta and Laura Dern. Uh, just that courtroom scene. I mean, that was so fireworks good. basically as proxies. They're saying everything that the other side wished they could say, you know, in the court of law. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, I just love like um, the violence of Ray Liotta, like just jam packed into that courtroom, you know, where he's forced to play by certain rules. Yeah. He can't be the Ray Liotta from Goodfellas. <laughs> he's got to be Ray Liotta, the, the legal attorney, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then Laura Dern, like just like this cool, calculating power player from like Big Little Lies, you know. Yeah. And uh, seeing Jurassic her, Park. Yeah, <laughs> seeing her going, you know, toe to toe with Ray Liotta, it was so invigorating to watch because I, you would never see these powerful actors, you know, that take such a huge presence. Yeah on screen go at each other like that and it was amazing to watch I'm pretty sure Ray Liotta's character just snorted like multiple lines of coke and just murdered someone <laughs> before going to the courtroom <laughs> what was also just great though was just the how cordial they were even before they went into the courtroom you know he's like oh yeah. hey they you knew know. each other I, you know, I turn, at first I was like okay it's just like a ploy as lawyers do right. but it looks like no it's like no work is work yeah and, and we are friends outside of that but when we're in there it's time to game. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you listen to the serial podcast season three. Uh, they go through like the court system of Cleveland, mm-hmm. and so they'll go to a defense attorney. They'll go to the um, the district attorney, and uh, they do the same thing in the lobby. We're like, hey, it's good to see you. But then, like the moment they walk away, they're like, kind of back talking about each other, and yeah, it's hilarious. Oh man, I think it's it, it felt pretty real. <laughs> wow, that yeah, they, that chemistry was amazing. Yeah, I just loved it. I don't know if you guys sensed this, but there was this deep like I was so frustrated. It's like, why did they have to get lawyers involved? Why are they doing this? Right. And then, but remember, though, Adam didn't want a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I don't think Scarlett Johansson did either. Neither of them really wanted lawyers, but um, you know, on the behest of her mother. (laughs) Just kidding. No, her mother was like, "You have to get a lawyer to just make things better." That's right. That's right. 
And then they, okay, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you, yeah. yeah. But I have to say, so so I have to say, I have to agree with you, Myron, though, my favorite performance in terms of uh, just, for me, I was just on my tippy toes was the monologue by Scarlett. Uh, the way she just poured out her soul and, and like what she struggled yeah. with in herself and she the relationship. In yes, it was like, it was just thoroughly enjoyable just to see her focus and build up of so many emotions to where you finally were like, ah, that's why she didn't want to like read her paper. Like th- now we understand that perspective. As yeah. you said, it was just amazing to finally get an understanding from her side. Yeah. Yeah. And now I was like, what, what is, what does Adam have now? Like what, yeah. what is his yeah. side of the story? It, it feels like she was saying it for all the men in the audience. Cause they weren't picking up on it before. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That is <laughs> just true. Just expositionally lay it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And what's funny, the, the funniest thing about that entire scene is she pours her, her heart out to her divorce lawyer about all of these like emotional hurts that she's had over the last multiple years. Yeah. And at the end, she says, oh, and by the way, I think he slept with one of the crew members. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, by the way. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> that mother. Yeah. And then I looked at my yeah. wife. I was like, how did you know? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. speaking also of the fight scene uh, that you that you brought up, you know. Was that your favorite shot and scene? You know what? I have to say this isn't a movie where I really thought about even the composition of the scenes because mm-hmm. it was all about the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there wasn't a lot of cast members. I, I would have to think that this was a fairly uh, low-budget low movie. So, yeah, I mean, I, I did love the composition um, of the shot where Scarlett, uh, you know, it's like a wonder where she is just talking and the camera doesn't cut away. But once again, that is basically the camera and the the shot in service of the performance. So mm-hmm. I felt like this whole movie was about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then yeah, I have to agree with you. Like it, it felt like a lot of the shots wasn't necessarily to be cinematically, you know, stunning, or it was more yeah. to like leave room for the performances, yeah. follow them around the stage, that kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. So in terms of the fight scene, like for me, I feel that the visual, uh, as you say, was more character driven. The visual and the composition for me, I I really felt set stage just the immensity of how separate how distance they were so like this fight scene where adam and scarlet um were spilling you know their emotion on the table in the beginning they both decided to sit down and talk about it but it was like a medium close-up the moment they cut back in adam's uh apartment he was staying it was such a wide shot and what we would know to be like a couch and a seat to be not that you know uh, far apart from each other and with no furniture, really, yeah. it, yeah. it my emotions were like, oh man, you those just, actors it, are just gonna move in that space. It, that, right? Yeah, but literally, there was no. But remember, it was silence though, because yeah. they were saying like, who's gonna go first, kind of thing. But mm-hmm. that moment of silence was powerful to me. Just like that freeze frame, I thought like, wow, you can see the tension. You can you mm-hmm. can feel without even having this having them say anything. You can look that they are broken in that sense yeah, yeah. and it was just a perfect example of what happens when the lack of communication and understanding becomes a very nature of demise in any relationship yeah. in that sense mm. so the, those words that he says to her at the end oh, not to give anything away yeah. it's like you know where it's coming from I, but at the same time you can't come back from it right. and it's like for her too it's like she knows that he doesn't mean it but it comes from a place that neither of them can ever come back from and then at that point I knew their marriage would not be salvageable and that yeah. they would truly be happier people apart from each other. But what you know? grace, like what amount yes. of grace she had yes. even yeah. after that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And from him to, to obviously realize what he mm-hmm. just done. Yeah. yeah. I know you guys love the fight so much, but for me it felt like um, with Scarlett's hmm. character, yeah. 
she was trying to go toe to toe with Adam Driver's character, who you know, New York versus LA type of cliche mm. like stereotype comes you, back you in. saw it come out even new in york that is like very brash loud you know in your face kind mm. of like you tell it as it is uh. la is very laid back and like you know kind of like you you keep your 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 you know you, you keep it close to the chest and yeah. it was interesting that she tried to fight him on his terms you know with like the yelling and the screaming uh. and the back and forth you know uh. and to me it almost felt like she was trying too hard uh. you know when in the end i feel like she won the fight because yeah. she finally just like let him tear himself down as yeah. he usually does. Yeah. And, I yeah. find that's what happens in my life. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is like an intervention this right like now. Therapy. It's just turned into an intervention right now. Myron, are you okay? Yeah, do I'm we, good. Do we need I'm to, good. Do we need to like redirect? I'm good. No, but happy wife, happy life for sure. <laughs> If you guys have any advice, please write us at podcast yes. for Myron at Gmail. Yes. Podfellows. So once again, if you have any complaints, direct them to William Dodd. Just kidding. So it seems that we have a sense of what the theme is to this film. But mm. I just want to see if you guys found something different. If there's any other types of themes that suck out. Obviously, it is. There's divorce and there's, you know. Yeah. Right. how bad a relationship is but for, for you Myron let's start with you like what other themes or something that stand out, yeah. stood out to you well for me the big theme for me is just um, the messiness that comes from relationships ending mm. uh, there's there's no such thing as a, as a clean break and uh, I mean there are these amazingly beautiful poignant scenes in this film where um, and it's talked about from the beginning um, you know Scarlett Johansson's character Nicole cuts Charlie's hair, Charlie played by Adam Driver, that she not only cuts his hair, but she cuts their son's hair, you know? And there's a scene where later on, when things are going really, really bad, they see each other and she basically says like, oh, you're looking a little shaggy. He's like, oh, I haven't gotten a haircut. And she's like, do you want me to cut your hair? Next scene is that, you know, he's in the bathroom and she's cutting his hair, even though they're going through this messy divorce. There are these moments where, you know, that two people are connected and no matter if they get a divorce or not or whatever may happen, it's like you don't lose that, you know, there's, it's, it's never clean, you know. And there was also a scene at the end of the film um, when, you know, we've reached as much of a resolution as we could between these two characters and then um she bends down to tie his shoelaces you know mm. so it, it's just it's such it's so real you know and those two references that you just said are, are two great visuals that they yes. were able to fr- that noah was able to frame yes so yeah th- those are amazing moments uh yeah. what about you steve um i think uh, i agree with um myron about um just like the the love to me it was like there was a, a couple things i picked up on one of them was like this theme of mature love that even going through this at the end of it you know, they're so mature in loving each other that even though they can't be married to each other, it's very clear that they still love each other. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other theme that um, I just want to point out, like, I, I'm sure it's not a theme that was intended, but just the theme of privilege just came out to me like a, mm-hmm. a hammer. And I just couldn't get over it. And as mm-hmm. I spoke with a couple of my other diverse coworkers who talked about it, too. And just this idea that um, even though they're going through divorce, like they were still very wealthy. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so um, having witnessed divorce, it was very different from the, the kind of divorce that I, I witnessed, you know, mm. and to see this, it, it didn't feel like it got messy enough, you know, like uh, as if privilege kind of sugarcoated the whole process in a way, like I'll just throw more money at it, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it, it was just really interesting to see that, To that I, I'm sure it wasn't the intention of, of the filmmaker, but 
maybe just the perspective was a little bit different. Yeah. You know? So the thing I got from the movie and even this like discussion is that this movie seems to leave things very open ended. Mm-hmm. Um, basically anyone watching it is going to have a different inter- interpretation right. of the film. Especially those who have uh, experienced yeah. mm-hmm. that type of yeah, trauma. Any kind of, of breakup or divorce, they're all going to look at it differently. Yeah, you know, interpretation now. Else would. Yeah. 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 I mean. But yeah, I just wanted to point that out because like, it, it felt like, you know, you're trying to hide a body with a, with a rug. Yeah. You no. know? Yeah. And like we could <laughs> examine and like, you know, admire the, the pattern and artistry, but there's still a body there. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. No, yeah. That's, that's, so that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me... Uh, the thing that stuck out for me was just the saying, like for me, the saying was like, the love is blind when Mm -hmm. you choose not to serve each other. And throughout the film, I actually gave less sympathy, just a little bit to, to Adam Mm -hmm. due to his lack of sacrifice as a husband and a Mm -hmm. father. Mm -hmm. I think that he, I I believe he knew what was best for his family, Mm -hmm. but not keeping an open mind Yes, because of the opportunities that would come up, he would deny it Mm -hmm. and the whole New York living and he was like, oh, my family loves New York, but it's like, no, they really don't. But Mm -hmm. he's not just, just, he does it with assumption and influence, putting like these false, um, mentions in his own family's head kind of thing. So, Mm -hmm. so with assumptions, those assumptions. yeah. Yeah. And then Scarlett's character, I felt for her so much because she just wanted to be empowered. She wanted to to have something of her that was mm. her own, mm-hmm. and and because when working with, especially when you work with your significant other family members too, that can also be kind of detrimental if you're not if you're if you're like the lead and mm-hmm. the or the creative director, whatever have you. Like you have to realize like okay, I need to separate my work mentality with my personal life. Yeah. And yeah. he just did. He just yeah. could not mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. For Adam. And, and, and that was part of his arc was that you know, was, not to give away the ending, but like. You know, he finally comes to, he, he, he does come back to L.A. for a family. Yeah. yeah. And it's a little bittersweet. It's like, had he only come to this sort of um, emotional revelation earlier in the movie, maybe their marriage could have been saved. Right. But I think that that was the purpose. The end was meant to be bittersweet. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you, you bring that up, Will, is that um, um, I listened to an interview with Noah, and uh, he was saying how uh, for Adam Driver's, character charlie when he was in la they always even though it was sunny and hot and bright out they always dressed him in heavy like um, warm sweaters and stuff that you would wear in new york Mm -hmm. to show that he was always like emotionally a little bit behind even though he was in this place of of warmth and it's different so i think that was to show how he was emotionally a, a little more immature than uh, Scarlett Johansson's character was. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that. That's, that's awesome. I did not. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So, final review. Four out of five stars. This film offers a true, um, real depiction of a divorce of real people. And I think anyone that's gone through a separation, anyone that is in a marriage, whether it's good or bad, anyone that's gone through a divorce, I think they would identify with it. There are a few. Um, strange scenes like when Adam Driver breaks out into song randomly. <laughs> He's uh, a theater director. Come on, I know, man. right? He's so, in theater. And, and another scene where uh, I, I don't want to ruin it, but basically a uh, social worker comes to see his, see his, his oh, interactions yeah. with him and his son. <laughs> that scene, too. I totally and, forgot about it. And that. I wasn't sure at the end if he lived or died. Yeah. <laughs> they don't really. That ended up being a deep cut. Yeah. 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 A very deep cut. They don't really address what happened yeah. after. I'm just like, what? But overall, though, I have to say I have to give it a four out of five stars. Solid, right. solid. What so. about you, Stevo? Me, uh, I have to say three and a half. Like I, I, I admire the aspirations that the film was trying to to do, but 
I feel like uh, there was there's too many moments of like I'm just call, call I'm just gonna call them Noah Bombachisms mm. where like the dialogue kind of like held it back and you know there's certain moments where I feel like um, the characters were trying so hard the actors were trying so hard to like say his lines in, in a naturalistic way mm. but it just came across like a, like a Tarantino line you know where it's Everyone sounds kind of like Tarantino. Hmm. It felt the same to me with like most Bombback movies, except for Francis Ha, where a lot of his lines just feel like Bombackisms. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. No, uh, yeah, I have to line up with you, Steve-O, and give it 3.5, only because for me, it was the cliches. I, I, I mm. appreciated the dialogue. I, I thought that the performance was solid, um, and, but I do see your whole Bombackism, what you're talking about <laughs> in, in that sense. The only the, the thing was just... Uh, it's a tough film to watch because it it's it's so maybe too relatable for some people mm-hmm. and we you know for me I like to watch a film to kind of just escape and right. enjoy rather than be like wow I'm leaving this theater and I'm like full on depressed <laughs> yeah, and feel bittersweet and you know but I mean granted like I it's it's just a great it's, it was still a great film all right. I think we can start a petition to have the term bombackism put in the, <laughs> the dictionary, America's Webster's dictionary, whatever. Is it bombackism or bombackism? I don't know. Where's the accent? <laughs> bombackism? Bombackism? <laughs> I, I don't know. Bombackism? No, but anyone in film, I think, knows exactly what that term means. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of what I talked about before. But mm-hmm. So that was our review of the film Marriage Story, nominated for uh, multiple awards. I'm sure we'll hear more about that later. Except uh, for Ray Liotta. Yes, Ray Liotta. <laughs> His best work since Shantix commercials. <laughs> But we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we'll come back with a review of Parasite. Before we go on break, we wanted to share with you all about our friends at SBR, a.k.a. Shouting from the Back Row. Typically, Cliff and Joe, the hosts, take sports topics and mash them with nerd and pop culture in an attempt to create something informative and entertaining. These guys have been my friends for quite a while, and they offer some very unique perspectives on what's happening in the sports world, especially in the NBA. So if you'd like to hear more about how Russell Westbrook is like Killmonger or why Magic Johnson is the Michael Scott of the NBA, check out the SBR podcast. Just search Shouting from the Back Row wherever you get your podcasts, or you can find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash sbrpod. Thanks. ま、そっけ。そんなだ。나도봐。공짜로 all right, we are back from break. So that was a look at the trailer from the film Parasite, written and directed by Pong Juno. Here is a synopsis. Greed and class discrimination threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. The film opens and we are introduced to the Kim family, the father, mother, and their two kids that are in their late teens. 
They lived in a cramped apartment and they lived very poor. The plot starts to develop when Kiwu, the Kim family's oldest son, cons his way into becoming a tutor for the teenage daughter of the wealthy Park family. Now, if you haven't watched the movie yet, that's okay. Keep listening. I will warn you when we get into the details regarding the film's climax and resolution. Uh, what are some of the themes that this movie explores? So let me go ahead and ask you first, Will. Uh, for me, like the themes that basically explores are economic disparity involving multiple stories taking place. This this film dives in to give the audience a taste of social injustice and the class inequalities in such a clever yet uncomfortable way. Uh, clever in the sense of how Pong Juno was able to keep the story centered in one place and uncomfortable for how it all unraveled. And Pong Juno, uh, I actually listened to an interview where he's all about location and centering his stories and take to take in one place mm. and he does it so well in this film yeah. um he did it as well in snowpiercer mm-hmm. uh on the train just yep. entire of, of the entire film which rolled by just right now yes <laughs> definitely and and it's just it just keeps you focused all right how about you sibo it's interesting because like this is a foreign film to me even though i'm korean american um, I, I relate mostly to American society. And so it was interesting to watch this film because to me it felt like a foreign film. Um, I've never been to Korea. And uh, just to see the the family dynamics, there's some hints of it that I saw in my family growing up. But for the most part, it felt like I was an outsider looking into mm. how these family groups work. Mm. And so um, the just the familial theme, like having grown up in the States, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on individualism, you know, the the small nuclear family. Yeah. And um, to see how tight this family was to the fact that they'd be willing to commit crimes together, you know, like a mafia or, you know, like a cult almost. It was really interesting to see that. And um, because uh, Bong Juno uh, did such a great job in making us empathize with that family from the get go, um, you're with them even though they're kind of committing these mm. morally ambiguous crimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that sense of familial bond um, was really interesting to me. I see it a lot in Korean films, you know. And then um, the other one is obviously the class disparity one. I mean, we've all seen like class, um, not class warfare, but like uh, the different class structures in different films, especially like Downton Abbey, Upstairs, Downstairs, you Mm -hmm. know, even in American films. But it was interesting to see um, this two class structure. And I don't want to give anything away. I don't know what our rules are on that. But then to expose yet another class within Korean society that was... Yeah, so for myself, I have to. Uh, I was watching this movie very much from the same perspective that you are. I've, being a Korean American, I've never been to Korea either. And when I tell people that, they usually look at me like, "What? You would love it. The bars are open really late." <laughs> to be honest, but yeah, I mean, it's like this. This film was um, at the same time identifiable yet very foreign to me. I would have to say. And then I have to agree with you both. Um, I think class disparity, the separation between between classes was uh, um, at the forefront of what uh, Pong Juno was trying to talk about. But the interesting thing that I that I um, came away with is that there are no really bad people, whether you were rich or whether you were poor. There was nothing that made you like in this movie antagonistic in that the poor people, even they're, even though they're committing crimes, we identified and we, we related to them. And at the same time, the rich people, they seemed a little bit maybe negligent and unaware of the problems of people that were less fortunate than themselves. And so I felt like a lot of the conflict came about in this movie where you had two classes put in the same room and now how are they both going to try to figure things out? I'm sorry. I feel like it, it's, it's so weird to me. Mm-hmm. I think you're the only two people who are Korean American 
and have never been to Korea. I've been to Tijuana many times. <laughs> I don't know what you do there, bro. <laughs> but yeah, I've never been across the pond, as we will call it. Yeah, you've definitely been, you know, over the walls. But yeah, I yeah, yeah. Will's pretty much the whitest Korean I know, and he's been to Korea like ten, ten times more than I have. Well, because I, my I the, the people that you know, the Korean people I've grown up with, it's like when you're born. Uh, Korean moms always take back their kids yeah. back to Korea, and so I'm just like, wow, I've I've never really witnessed so many <laughs> yeah. Korean Americans. I want to high five my room. Yes, <laughs> two Korean Americans, not. We should go together. Yeah, yeah, yes. we should, we should. Yeah, um, but we need a guy because we can't probably we speak. I can't speak Korean. Can you? <laughs> no, that's adorable. Un poquito, un poquito, un poquito. <laughs> Pesos? That, that, you pay in pesos? That, that'll fly in K-Town here, but not in, in Seoul. <laughs> what do you feel about Pung Juno as a director? Let me go and ask you first, Evo. Um, so I haven't seen too many of his films. Um, Korean cinema, like, I'm not sure why. Maybe just I don't have as much of the time. There's so many Korean films to watch. I still need to watch The Handmaiden. Like, everyone mentions oh, that, yeah. including Pung Juno. I, I actually met him in person once. It was at a Korean film council screening here for Snowpiercer a couple years ago. Mm. And he was a really nice guy. <laughs> and uh, the only question I asked him was, uh, which do you prefer better, L.A. Korean food or Seoul Korean food? And he definitely said L.A. Korean food is the best. So just, wow. if you want Korean food, come to L.A. Is, mm. Yeah, I gotta say. For the Koreans out in What's Korea. <laughs> but, um... I mean, I think like the only two films like Okja and you know Snowpiercer, Okja! they're very like CGI heavy. There's a spectacle to it, and it was interesting to watch this film, which there was no spectacle. The spectacle was really just this family dynamic, mm. you know. Yeah. And um, I think uh, in terms of like, you know, is it one of his best works? Uh, I personally related to it. I felt it was the most relatable film he'd made, and probably the most uh, Americanized film in a way. I try to compare this film to like One Hour Photo mm. by Mark Romanek, which mm. uh, it's kind of similar in the sense of like there's this class structure in a way, but Mark Romanek villainized um, the, the the person that was Robin trying Williams. To, yeah, right. Robin Williams. Yeah, he villainized him in in, in wanting to have that lifestyle mm. versus Bong Chunho's perspective of it was this is like an end goal, you know, mm. and they looked up to it, they looked forward to it, you know, and so he had a, a lot more of an empathetic uh, lens to that. And so in that respect, like, it would have been very easy for an American director to, like, make this very, you know, uh, thriller-ish. Mm. And I think, to Bong Joon-ho's credit, like, he did a right. great job. In so I want to ask you another question here. You said this was uh, one of his more um, American-type films, cross- uh-huh. culturally. What do you mean by that? Because this film is entirely in Korean and it explores class structure. Yeah, but I think the class structure... Um, set in a family dynamic, mm. you know, um, the working class aspiring to be an elite. You know, that's that's a universal story. It is universal. All yeah. across the world. That's true. There's all these class systems everywhere. Mm. And I think that's why these kind of stories do so well. And similarly to me, out of all the films I've watched, is uh, I would say this is on the top of my list. I haven't watched that many as well. Like, okay, I have watched Okja and Snowpiercer. And Okja! <laughs> <laughs> that will be, every time you say Okja, Yes, yes. Mine's gonna. I'm gonna have a Okja button from our podcast from now on where totally. I would randomly push it and you just hear Okja! With anyway. your voice, though. Yes. Yes. Recorded. Perfect. <laughs> but basically, out of those films I've seen, he does tell the similar themes in involving social injustice and class, inequ- uh, class inequalities. But this one does take the cake. And I think is a good director who can take such similar themes and mold it in various forms. Yeah. And I find that that's 
difficult to do at times too, mm-hmm. especially if you're like the same person doing it. If you're the person doing it over and over again, right. and I think that's brilliant. So I love this one. This yeah. All right, so we're going to reveal a few more plot details before we get into a further discussion of the film. So as we mentioned, the poor Kim clan, their son, uh, Kiwu, uh, earns the Parks family's trust as the tutor for their oldest daughter. Soon he's able to con them into hiring his sister Kijung as an art tutor, quote unquote, for the Park family's youngest son. Soon after, Kijung orchestrates a plan to get the Park family driver fired and convinces them to hire Kitek the Kim family patriarch as the replacement. And of course, the Park family has no idea that they just hired three people from the same family. The Kim family soon puts a con into motion to get the Park family housekeeper fired and to have it replaced by, you guessed it, the Kim family's mother. So that's now four persons from the same household being employed by the unwitting and naive Park family. Now for the review, I will leave out all the juicy details regarding how the Kims were able to pull this off. Now let me ask you guys, Favorite performances from the movie? Favorite oh, moments, maybe? Um, let me go ahead and start with you, Will. The entire performance from the Kim family side was so great to watch. Uh, it was the fact that that they weren't just a family. Uh, as Steve mentioned earlier, it was like they were a unit like of a perfect con slash mob slash just, uh, just a crime family. What a... What a yeah. What a performance. Uh, I especially enjoyed, I like saying her name like this, So Damn Parks. <laughs> so Damn Parks. So Damn Parks performance as the art tutor therapist taking on that role yeah. within yes. a role. Just so good. So like, I know that they were all playing a role within a role. But what made her stand out was she had such a contrast to her regular the daughter role from yeah. the Kim's family yeah. to her art therapy role. And it just blew away the other performances yeah. of her families. Yeah. Yes. I freaking I, I agree. loved it. Yeah. She was great. She was amazing. So yeah. That, you, Steve-o? Yeah. Pick it back. Same things like, uh, Jessica, as she was known as the art tutor, like Jessica. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jessica. Jessica. <laughs> We're not keeping that in there. Are we? <laughs> Maybe. I, think I think we might keep that in there. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Jessica as, <laughs> Will so eloquently put it. <laughs> I, I like that. Um, unlike the other um, family members who, you know, they do the the typical uh, goody goody two shoe type of you know performance to ingratiate themselves to the the Park family. Uh, Jess, Jessica took it to a whole other level where she did the research and she almost became like a dominatrix in a way. Yeah, you know where she's really Park so damn. <laughs> so damn park and she really changed it up you know yeah. where she's laying down the rules instead of the park family her yes. you know mm-hmm. uh, employers laying down the rules of all the characters that was the one i was rooting for yeah uh, all, all throughout yeah uh yeah. my heart hurts by you, you, you guys know why yeah. but yeah uh, and so does hers she really hurts <laughs> yeah. oh no but, so um, damn the, the other one is definitely the ensemble of the family together mm. uh, my favorite is um the opening scene where they're folding pizza boxes and yeah. as a family unit, yeah. they're like, you know, cranking yeah. them out. And it just reminds me of like, um, my mom was uh, used to work at an aerospace factory. And um, she used to wow. bring back these uh, nuts. It would be a job where you had to hammer a small one to a little one, a little one into a bigger one. And it becomes a new unit. And uh, she would bring this home and like, uh, she borrowed mallets from her neighbors and her friends. And um, my sister, my dad, my mom, all of us would just watch t- Korean TV and make hammer these nuts. 
Wow, what a Ouch. dude! The hustle back in those days, you know, I respect right. that from your mother. Like all of our, I think all of our parents just hustled and worked yeah. hard. Crazy. Yeah, and so that's what it reminded yeah. me of was like you know the family working together. We we're just kids, and like you know we understood yeah. that oh we got to do our part. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. really refreshing to see that. Yeah. Still. yeah, it's definitely identifiable. I think uh, so. What I heard was that when my family first came to America, I mean, I wasn't born yet. I was just a glimmer in my mother's eye. But uh, my parents worked at a swap meet and they were they would sell stuffed animals. So every night after they would get home, they would stuff the stuffed animals to sell, you know, oh, wow. and it was just that idea of, of like a cohesive family unit that they would do whatever that they had to do to kind of make ends meet. Yeah. And I think that that's just truly just likable identifiable it's endearing yeah. yeah so no matter what they do later on in the movie it's like yeah. you like them you're rooting for them you know uh-huh. there's a blue collar gumption that yeah. they have that you I just like respect that. admire oh yeah yeah uh, swap me days my goodness <laughs> uh my, my parents ran it swap me too oh, oh really? really oh yeah it was just they sold baby baptism clothing and ah. that stuff i used to go to my dad to la every tuesday and i was like maybe like what six seven years old and it was literally just me washing the van to make sure no one breaks into it with all the <laughs> all, all the inventory that was in there. Did it ever get stolen? It has gotten stolen before, yeah, a couple of times. When we went to go oh. eat, like, lunch, whatever, wow. and we he tried to park it as close as you can so you could see it throughout the window, but there's just one moment where he couldn't see it, but it was not too far. It was, like, literally around the corner, and then all of a sudden, yep, broken into. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> hard times, man, yeah. Yeah, There's, there's yeah. some hard times, but we we press on. Yeah, they, put, they, they, they get mad, but they, they don't sulk. They just, you gotta just hammer those nuts. <laughs> just hammer those nuts. <laughs> hammer away. So good. Love how this all just came right back in circle. <laughs> Are we even talking about the movie anymore, guys? I know. <laughs> just kidding. We just this film's just so relatable, you know. So, anyways, um, so getting back to the plot here, uh, as we just talked about, the uh, Kim family is now fully employed by the Park family, but here's where things get a little bit dicey. If you haven't seen the movie, I would literally stop listening right now one night when the parks leave for a family vacation the kims decide to drink and hang out at their employer's house and this is where the shit really starts to hit the fan the parks recently fired housekeeper stops by the house and convinces mama kim to let her in it's now revealed that the house had has a secret bunker slash panic room built in case of a north korean invasion Dun, dun 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 Unbeknownst to anyone, especially the parks, living in the bunker is the former housekeeper's husband. Turns out that he's been hiding there to get away from debt collectors he owes. Furthermore, since the housekeeper was fired so abruptly, she was not able to get him out. Now this housekeeper becomes aware of the Kim family's plans and threatens to tell the parks. In a moment of panic, the Kims push her down the stairs of the bunker and then they tie up her husband. Just as this happens, we watch as the parks come back early from the camping trip due to a deluge of rain. The Kims are just barely able to get out of the house, but the housekeeper and her husband are still locked up in the bunker. The next morning, the rains have cleared and the parks decide to host an impromptu birthday party for their son at the house. Since the camping trip didn't work out, they also invite the Kim family, letting them know that if they attend, they would be paid to do so. And here it comes, the big Tarantino moment. Inside the bunker, we see that the housekeeper has died from her head wounds after being pushed down the stairs. Her husband is able to break out of his bonds and escape the bunker. He takes out Kiwu, leaving us wondering if the boy is dead or alive. He then grabs a kitchen knife and makes his way into the party. Now I'm going to refrain from revealing what happens in the rest of the climax. You'll just have to watch the movie for yourselves. But let me ask you both, 
what did you think of the climax? Was it properly set up? What is Pongjino going for here? So let me ask you first, Kivo. Um, yeah, so my take on Korean cinema is like there's always this wacky, off the wall fourth act, which I think is what makes people love Korean cinema. Mm. And uh, so I was totally expecting that, knowing I was watching a Korean film. And so it was kind of, um, it, it's not underwhelming, it still surprised me. You know, I didn't see that turn, but I was expecting a turn, you know? Mm. So in terms of like, was it properly set up? In a way, if he hadn't done it, I would have been like, well, where's the twist? Where's the turn? Yeah. You know, I would have missed it. You know, but back to um, what Bong Juno was trying to say, I think, um, I feel like I understood what he was trying to go for. And I don't know if this is spoiling it or not, but just the, you know, you set up this uh, two class system, the working class and the elites. And then um, the twist is that there's this other subterranean class of people, you know. And to me, I got hints of like, uh, these are like North Korean defectors or refugees and they grew up, but... They don't have any education. They don't understand how Korean society works. They're just impossible to find their way into Korean modern society. And so that's what it kind of took away from, from that. And um, what I got, and he, you know, I think Bong joon set it up pretty clearly about um, the disdain that the elites have for the working class and even more so for the subterranean class, if you will. You're talking you know? about like the smell, right? Yeah, the smell. Yeah. yeah, the rags and, yeah. you know, like... Yeah. Cap- yeah. The B.O. Exactly. Yeah, so one of the themes in the movie is this idea that poor people just smell inherently just different from rich people. Right. Like the way that the the Kim family home was set up is that it's a basement, but with a window. Yeah. You know, just one stood up from literally a bunker. Yeah. Right. And that sewage is like, you know, it's 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 right there. They're yeah. right there. There's a guy pissing out the window right in front of their home. And yeah. that's their view. Mm-hmm. You know, And so there, there's just that um, that visual uh, theme and. I think that when the the Kim family patriarch does what he does, uh, it's like he's realizing that even if he was an elite, he like to become an elite, he'd be sacrificing his morality, hmm. you know. And so that's the choice that he made. Right. If that makes sense. So I was makes, tracking with that. Makes so a lot of sense. It. I. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about that choice that he made. Do you think that was set up well and you understood why that happened? I mean, coming from an American cinema aspect, no. (laughs) But knowing that I'm watching Korean cinema, Mm. yeah, it was very clear. So you were saying how this is a very much a kind of the climax is is Korean. Uh Um, If you're an American person, a Caucasian Uh watching this that maybe doesn't understand the 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 cultural norms of, Mm -hmm. of, of Korea. Yeah. Do you think that end would have translated differently? Um, I don't know. I think... I don't think so, because mm-hmm. like I, I'm, I wasn't aware of the this other class, you know, and that's what was a shock to me. Mm-hmm. And it took me a, f- a few scenes to realize who they actually were. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I don't know if the the consensus is that they were North Korean defectors or not. Mm-hmm. But like you know, she's doing the news broadcast lady, the the anchor. Mm-hmm. She's doing that impersonation, and you know, I just kind of put two and two together, and it seemed like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that's actually what he was going for, right. but. That's what, what I picked up on. When it came to the Kim family mm-hmm. and and where they lived and how you pointed out the whole, you know, uh, the smell, what mm-hmm. poor people smell. And as Myron was saying too, like how poor people smell, like they're just, they're just dirty. And then as we saw, like, you know, even other shots where you would see um, another homeless guy pissing where the yeah. sewer was, what was also visually... Uh, well executed was how low their house was. Yes. It was like low yeah. level with the where the sewers mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, what 
you can't get any lower than that. That yeah. that's just yeah. that's just such a on, on the dot right there. Okay, and, yeah, they are low class. And one of the things yeah. that I brought up earlier is that there's a deluge of rain, and so mm-hmm. um, you know, based off of where they live, of course, if there's a huge amount of rain that falls, their home is going to get flooded. Yeah, and that's something that it's is talked about. Yeah, you know, in yeah. the movie, it's like as if it, it was as if that flood too was trying to like wash them away as well yeah mm-hmm. yeah and 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 yeah. man that that was kind of sad to witness but right. for me though the that climax i mean literally tarantino-esque <laughs> I know, it right? was an execution of how everything just exploded and it was such a time bomb of nuclear proportions that like it just left me in shock mm-hmm. and and it just kept spreading from worse to worse for yeah all the families. Yes, yeah. I think we talked about this uh, right after we saw the movie. Is that you know in certain movies, and we see it a lot in Tarantino films, where all of these little things are set up, and we don't exactly know where the setups are leading, but it all kind of pays off in this one big scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. here, you know, I, I don't know if it's fair for Pong Juno uh, to have this called a Tarantino esque. A moment, but no, I no, have to be, say yeah. that yes. I agree that that's what I thought. It's only Tarantino esque in the sense of how the end result kind of explodes. Mm-hmm. But with Tarantino, he plays off with his stories where it leads you in a direction that you think you know where it's going. Like a red herring. It literally, and, and all of a sudden, you're just yeah. like, oh, this whole story is actually about leading up to this situation and you're talking about like once upon a time in hollywood exactly that's so interesting because i didn't i totally missed the tarantino reference because i know that tarantino pulls from like korean cinema and other cinema yeah i mean in my opinion um i did think the end was slightly abrupt and it it was a type of movie where you're waiting for something to happen because it's like okay this is a lot of cool setup and obviously (laughs) uh uh, i'm watching a korean film i've seen old boy something crazy is about to happen right but I feel like when I saw it, I, I wasn't like, oh, my gosh. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Wow. You know? So mm-hmm. for me, it wasn't completely out of left field. The climax was anchored in just enough setup where yeah. I was able to be, like, not taken out of the movie. So, yeah, I did really appreciate that, the movie. Um, the end, I don't want to totally get into it. I mean, we've seen what's happened. We don't know exactly the results or the fallout from that climax that we had discussed but let me ask the both of you thoughts on the ending what did you think first will so for me it was a bittersweet yet poetic ending it's tough not to say how bittersweet it was without giving too much away but you grow so much sympathy for all the family members even though they brought this upon themselves it it was man like i said you know it's Straight to the heart. <laughs> so, so when you say all the family members, the Kim family, the Kim, uh, the how about Kim, the parks? and the Parks, Yo, mm. yeah, both. And what about the other family? And the other family, yeah. <laughs> it, well, after, yeah, keep forgetting, like, oh yeah, we yeah. revealed that, but yeah, because yeah, that was a twist in itself mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question, maybe both of you. What was the sin of the Park family, though? The sin of the Park family, honestly, I don't think I see. I don't. Uh, uh, with the Park family, I think it was just the. Um, the lack of responsibility yeah. for yeah. You know, sure almost for, ignorance yes. I would say well right. remember they already said that like you know the richer you are the more gullible and nicer like you can afford to be nice you can afford to yeah, yeah you basically when when you're that rich yeah. you're afford, you can afford to do whatever so, so was their sin just being too nice I, I don't think that they were nice in the sense that you know it, it, it was all an act sure you know the Park family was acting nice mm. and then when you actually got to hear the convers- the things that um, Mr. The, Park was saying yeah. 
then you realize, oh, he's not really nice. Yeah, like, a-hole. like you're paid to yeah. be here type thing. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how they see them as just, they're just the help. But, you know, as an elite, oh, they're faking niceness. They're faking yeah. like, oh, we're giving this person an opportunity yeah. to work. Because of that social, economic, yes. sh- like that's that hierarchy of a class that you right. have to act a certain way. Which mm-hmm. is true because remember when the Kim family were all together and, and celebrating after they left for the camping mm-hmm. trip, the mom even says, yeah, you know, a woman that has this much money, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'd be nice if I had this much money. Yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. And I was like, oh, wow, that's right. checked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you saw uh, the documentary Queen of Versailles. Uh, it, it was, uh, it's about um, the wealthiest real estate mogul, like a, a, a what is it, a richest to rag story uh-huh. and how they lost all their money. Wow. And so his wife had a bunch of kids and she's like, yeah, I love having kids. I just hire the help. And then the moment she became poor, she's like, um, yeah, I mean, when I had help, like, it's easy to have kids, but now that I have to raise the kids myself, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of that kind of perspective mm. that I thought was really interesting. I.e., the Kardashians. Yeah, <laughs> right, <just> right. Kidding. <laughs> so after watching the end of the movie, what do you think the director is trying to say with this mm. film? There's two ways to interpret it. Um, there's like the optimistic feeling of like, mm. yeah, one day he can make enough. He can do it. Yeah. Meaning you know? the son. The son, right. yeah, yeah. He can do it. He can... Um, buy a house that specific house he can do it yeah but then the more cynical side is like that's impossible he'll right. never make it because the odds are stacked against him right right interesting so what steve was alluding to is something that i don't i don't i don't think any of us want to give away <sighs> so it, hard not it, to. it really kind of like encapsulates the movie as a whole right what do you think will I agree. No, I agree with steve from the the optimistic and cynical side i think more in the sense though Gosh, that that ending scene with the sun and and what what I was thinking. Oh, nice! It, it yeah, I thought that too. It's it, like, it oh. tur- yeah, it turned out the way you know. That's it's awesome. You know, hard work and all that stuff. And and then all of a sudden it takes a turn on on its head, and I'm just like, no. Yeah. He kind of yeah. wakes up from that reality in that sense, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I. It's bittersweet, like yeah. I said, yeah. but it's so poetically yeah. done right. well. Yeah, it's kind of that idea of can a poor person. Um, reach beyond their class and become someone wealthy. And I think that's kind of like the question that they're asking. And the movie gives us that hope, like maybe someone that's poor can work their way up um, in today's society and become someone wealthy. Mm -hmm. And then kind of as you're hoping for that to happen, the rug is pulled out from under you and you realize that that is almost nearly impossible. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And so I think that kind of left me thinking, hmm, due to restraints, and due to like glass ceilings that we're never going to be able to work beyond what we're born into. Yeah. I felt like. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. It reminded me of this um, American Dad episode where Stan Smith is uh, <laughs> trying to save up enough money to become a country club member. that Because he used to work there in, as, in, as a teenager. And so 40 years later, he's finally saved up enough to buy membership. And then when he tries to buy the membership, they're like, that might have been like 1982 prices, <laughs> but today, <laughs> oh, oh, no. that's what I kept Just doing. Just back. Uh... Uh, there's an article that came out in the Hollywood Reporter like mm. a couple weeks ago okay. about, um, so I don't know if you guys have been an assistant before. Um, I've been an assistant for Hollywood folks. I won't mm. mention names. And um, there, there's this whole article about how the assistants today, um, because the wages are so low, that it's impossible for them to ever rise into positions of power. Wow. Because they can't even afford to be an assistant. So who's being, who are the assistants then if they're paying so little? 
Mm-hmm. The only people that can afford to be assistants are uh, people whose parents are wealthy enough to pay for the rent and, you know, live in L.A. And L.A. is so expensive to live in. Mm. And so then what's happening is that as those assistants rise up the ranks, right, they're basically just bringing in the upper class again. And so the room for growth for people from different class sectors, if you will, um, their their chances are greatly diminished. Wow. wow. And so and then also like there's a statistic that directors, 90 percent of directors come from the upper class, not upper middle, just flat out upper class. Uh-huh. You know, and when you look at like um, you got to make a movie to like make a movie. <laughs> That's the catch 22 that all of us filmmakers are, are in this this catch 22 uh, to make the movie cost money. Yes. You know, and uh, it, it requires connections of this upper class. And so in a similar way, like the Bong, the Bong Joon-ho film, like kind of that's how I kind of saw it as well. So I know for a fact we can have a much deeper and lengthier discussion into this film. But let me uh, just go ahead and ask you both. Um, if you had to rate this film out of five stars, what would you guys give it for Steve-O? Uh, four to five. I think um, there was a lot of moments in there that was very, um, it felt fresh. Like a lot of the performances, very fresh to me, uh, even with the, you know, um, the the language and cultural barriers. I still understood it and it, I tracked with it. It had a universal message to me, I think. And um, I think it's like, I can see why this film is up for awards because it feels like the most accessible Korean film in the sense that uh, the reason why I feel like it's an, such an Americanized film in a way is that the crazy fourth act, it doesn't really, you know, it, it resolved like an American film. So I think it's a lot more palatable for the awards people. So uh, yeah. I think four out of five. Hmm. How about you, Will? Yeah, for me, four out of five as well. As a film itself, it was entertaining. It really like diced into the. It was just so fascinating to see the different class structures and and the des- like. Just a great story of of a family conning a, a rich a poor family conning a rich family, and and just how Bong Joon Ho was able to. Uh, direct this film in a way that was keeping you on your toes and and then letting just like the suspense build of like where is this going like wh- like what's the resolution like are, are they gonna take over the house as they always talked about you know are they gonna get rich what's gonna and then all of a sudden just throwing this curveball at you and it was just a classic great like film that that was that was suspenseful and thrilling and and what an explosion at the end i loved it the only thing i will say about korean films that throw me off and i, I said this to you in the theater actually my was like what is up with the the music at times the musical cues <laughs> that are very random to me at times like you would see one of the kim's son uh in a scene just walking down an alleyway and then there are like xylophone chimes or something like really weird that I, I didn't find any connection to, you know, to, to that scene, but it was just there. And so I was like, I don't understand this, but I feel like I see that in a lot of Korean dramas and, and not that I watch a lot of Korean dramas, but like, you know, Korean films and whatnot, just in that culture. I don't know if it's, I, I really don't know what the purpose of it is, but then again, I also don't understand K-pop. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> if you understood K-pop, you would understand those musical chimes. <laughs> You're such a culturally un- insensitive individual, sir. Just hey, kidding. I've been to Korea 10 times, okay? Yeah, I haven't been once. <laughs> yes, so... But you... I do listen to BTS, so... <laughs> <laughs> huh. Only because they came to America first? 
Yes. Oh, so not because not when they were. Injured. I appreciate their their cosmetic awareness. <laughs> Just kidding. I have no idea what I'm talking about at this point. But what about you, then, Myron? So what about you, Myron? What do you rate this film? I give this movie four out of five stars. There's just so much meat to this film. And I feel like I have yet to fully uh, digest it all. There's so many different levels and layers to this film. There are the performances. And then just completely separate. This movie is visually beautiful. And I feel like I just didn't have a chance on one viewing to be able to soak it all in and to try to even um, determine what it all means. And, you know, of course, the end, it's satisfying. And for me, it pays off well. And yet at the same time, there is just it gives you enough to kind of ask questions afterwards and kind of wanting to chew on it more. So, yeah, definitely four to five stars. All right. That was our podcast for the day. Marriage Story can be seen on Netflix on a couch near you. And if you want to watch Parasite, it is still in wide release. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, Will and I will be with you once again next week for a view of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Thank you, Steve-O, for being on our yeah. podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks, guys. So it's good. been a blast. Hopefully, you'll come back, perhaps, in the yeah, future. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, if we haven't scared you off to us. <laughs> Not just at yet. all. No. no, I think he likes us. Yeah. yeah. You like us, right? I have to like you. Yes. He has to like us? He has to like us. I don't what know what you that pay means. Because I, I want I to go to Korea and head. I need to go with Myron. Ah, yes, yes, we have to go to Korea together. You do have to go yes. to Korea together. If any of you would like to be our, our guide and host in Korea, please let us know. Do we need one of those? No. I don't know. We just point and yeah, laugh. Yeah, yeah. And do the people. Los Banos? Los Banos? Show them our... <laughs> Poquito más. Poquito más. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye.